Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. All right, we're back. Let's go right to the phones. And uh, joining us, as he does every week at this time from Tightline Outdoors, Mr. Nate Zielinski. Good morning, Nate. Good morning, Terry. How are you today? You know, I'm doing well, and it's kind of, uh, we were talking dove loads with Austin Parr here just a minute ago, and it's kind of a great transition because it's time for people to be thinking about their big game uh, rifles, too, and and what type of ammunition. I think people wait to the last minute too often, whether it's choosing and buying a rifle, practicing with it, getting the right caliber, and then shooting with the ammunition you're going to hunt with. I think all those things come into play, don't they? Absolutely, Terry. I, more so than, than ever. Um, you know, and, and there's honestly, I think the biggest thing with this and why I wanted to talk about it is there's no right answer. I think there's a lot of of good decision-making and some poor decision-making. Um, and I think that, obviously, what's in our heads and what happens in the field sometimes are different things, um, whether that's expectations, whether that's good and, and bad decision-making, um, and everything else out there. Um, so that's kind of what we want to talk about. We want to talk uh, about selecting that big game rifle. Um, I mean, obviously, hunting season upon us. Uh, it is opening pronghorn archery today. Guys are out in the field, uh, so super excited about that. Uh, dove hunting starts in a, you know, in a couple weeks. You know, All of your archery elk and deer starts in a couple weeks. Um, I mean, bear starts. It, it is full-blown hunting season, so it's time to get ready. And, um, you know, the thing that kind of spurred this, just, you know, scrolling through your social outlets, your Instagram, Facebook, um, I mean, literally the Internet is breaking with people asking questions about firearms. Hey, you know, buying a gun, this or that. Um, you know, what's the right caliber? And I, I, there's so many options out there for, for the average hunter. Um, and honestly, so much has changed in the last couple years that, the traditional guns and rifles that everybody was shooting, you know, your two seventies, your thirty out six, um, are still awesome rounds. You know, the, the ammunition is readily available. Um, it is a great firearm to have. With that, there's a lot of newer calibers that are by far outperforming um, those other rounds out there, which gives you a better opportunity as a hunter for a more accurate load, a better performing load, um, and more takedown energy to where you're doing your part as a hunter uh, to be as ethical as possible in the game that you're hunting. So there's so much that goes into it. We just wanted to kind of have that discussion real quick on the radio and talk about you know some of the some of the later rounds that are that are pretty awesome and some things to maybe think about you know in making a rifle purchase for this upcoming big game season you know i did most of my big game hunting when i was younger and uh i you know i came traditional up in northern minnesota i my first deer rifle was a lever action 30 30 but then as i hunted more areas and bigger game i graduated to a 30 out six and a, a 308 and i stayed with them and they were really good calibers but you're right with the Creedmoors and some of the things that are out there now. There's just some – tell us some of your thoughts and what you would look for. I mean, that's it. You know, I mean, I would say if you take the top three traditional rifles right now that, you know, are probably the most widely spread, they're in people's gun safes right now, it's like a 270, a 308, and a 30 six. 
all amazing rounds. And again, when you go to the range, right? So we go down to Colorado Clays, or we go to any of our ranges, and you sit down at 100 yards on a bench, calm conditions, and you shoot. They are all amazing. Now, when you go in the field and you're at close range and you're calm and the animal's broadside, and you hit that animal absolutely flawlessly. Everything is perfect, um, and we all want those situations. But how often do we go out there and things are not quite perfect? You know, you're shooting in snow or rain. You're shooting in a heavy crosswind. You're uncomfortable. There's everything in the field changes. You misrange, you know, misrange things. How many times do we not have great rangefinders? Not even have rangefinders at all. And what we think is. 150 yards is actually 250 yards, or we can't get our rangefinder to click, or the batteries die. Um, things just happen in the field. It is what it is. Um, and again, I'm not trying to, to tell hunters it's a bad name, but there's times where you know I remember in the past before I had you know really solid rangefinders where I couldn't get a rangefinder to work. I'd click you know and I could get a range at 100 yards, and then the animal is out past that, and I'm like, man, how much further is he out there? You know, is it is it 200 or is it 300? And you know. The ethical thing is say, I don't know if it's two or 300, so let's not shoot. But people don't say that, Terry. I, I'm trying to be realistic. Everybody is like, you know, if it's within reason, we're not saying it's 1,000 yards, but, hey, you know, it, it's, I'm comfortable to 250. I think that deer is at 300. I'm going to take the shot. You know, we make those decisions in the field, and we push the envelope. And if you have the right caliber and you have the right load and everything's dialed in, it makes it easier to make those decisions. You know, so when you look at uh, – a 308 or a not six. Um, if you're shooting a, a heavier grained bullet, um, which a lot of times we we really encourage people to do, um, you're really lobbing bullets. So some of those calibers, not that they're slow, just ballistically they they have an arch. They have a very large drop rate. So if you're off on your range um, by again 50 yards, which is not hard to do when you're out in the field, there's times where you go from right inside that zone where you make a flawless shot to just outside side of that zone to where you're not making that good shot to where nowadays with some of the the faster calibers and some of the or you know cartridges and some of the better ammunition just everything kind of dialed in one the rifle's more accurate from the way that the shoulder of the round sits in the action two you're ballistically just getting so much better to where they're so flat shooting and they carry so much energy that if your range is off or if your shot's not perfect you're still delivering such an impact um, on that on that target um, you're creating a very ethical shot. So those are the type of things that I really look for. Is one, you know, I want the absolute most performance out of that firearm, out of that cartridge that I'm shooting. And again, I wouldn't say that this is a, a thing like buying a brand new boat. In the world of firearms, um, everything is fairly price matched. Where whether you go buy a thirty out six or you go buy a, you know one of the more you know common more you know say up to date current models, you're going to spend about the same money on the rifle. So it's one of those things that you're not forced to get one of those older ones. It's not like the the thirty out sixes, the two seventy three oh eights are cheaper. Um, they're all going to be in that same realm. So do yourself that favor and and get the the, the more performance out of your firearm. It's just going to lead to a, a better hunt this coming fall. Um, and I, you know. 
know, thinking of this, I was going to break it down into a couple different cartridges that I, I am a huge fan of. Um, you know, when you talk about small game, predator hunting, coyotes, things like that, um, you know, the, the, the staple of that is a 22-250, and that is still staying current today. Um, but in the smaller game stuff, probably the best ballistic coefficient that I've seen um, in the field, not necessarily just ballistics on paper, uh, but for me shooting is shooting a 204. So I, I shoot a, a Ruger 204. Uh, I'm shooting a slightly heavier grain bullet. Uh, I'm shooting a 40 grain bullet out of that 204. Um, and it is unbelievably flat. Uh, ballistic coefficients on that, booking 30, 40 mile an hour winds. Um, I've never seen a cartridge perform like that 204 in a, in a small game presence. Um, it's absolutely incredible. So again, instead of, you know, some of the, the 22 longs and just all the other calibers out there, that 204, I don't know anything that will outproduce it right now. Um, so that's my favorite small game load. As you go into your your pronghorn, your mule deer, your whitetail, um, like you mentioned, the Creedmoor, the 6.5 Creedmoor, absolutely amazing round. Um, huge fan of it. I love it because it's readily available as far as ammo. Um, the gun shoots with very little recoil. It's a shorter casing. The powder burns quicker. Uh, the recoil on, on the impact is not that great. Um, so everybody can shoot it, um, and it ballistically is absolutely incredible. In the option of the 6.5, I honestly take it one step further. It's actually a gun that a lot of people see I've been posting on my Instagram page lately. Um, this fall, I'm going to be using the 6.5 PRC. Uh, it's going to have a little bit steeper shoulder. It's going to be a little bit more ballistic coefficient. Um, so in the 6.5, I, I, I have a Creedmoor. I love my Creedmoors. Um, but I'm actually shooting the PRC. Uh, and it is absolutely just probably my favorite round out there. Um, you can hunt anything with it. I'm going to avoid it for, for your elk, your moose, your real bigger animals. Uh, but for the pronghorn, the deers, all that kind of thing, that 6.5 PRC I, uh, is probably one of the most accurate rounds ever built. Um, again, just from Casing the action to, to bullet um, ballistically, that 6.5 PRC is incredible. That's probably one of the cartridges that, again, I would I would highly you know avoid the, the 308s and all of that. When that 6.5 PRC is there, it covers so much of a gamut of target shooting to hunting. Um, it's absolutely incredible. And I'm shooting like a like 143 grain bullet out of it, Hornady ELDX. Um, and, and again, just performance wise, it is very hard to beat. Um, then we go into the very large calibers. Um, again, where the 30-06 has been very prevalent. Um, you know, you have things like a 300 Weatherby. You have your Ultra Mags. Um, you have your 300 wins. Um, you know, in this type caliber, I'm shooting two different rounds, um, and I really am torn on, on both of them. Um, I'm a huge fan of a 300 win. Um, so a 300 win is one of those things that you can drop down to a 170-grain bullet um, get a really solid bullet, you know, very low expanding bullet, and, and you can hunt coyotes with that. You can hunt pronghorn with that and not have this, you know, massive load coming at them. But I can also step up to like a 210-grain bullet if I really want to deliver a ton of energy. Um, if I'm shooting in extreme wind, the heavier that bullet, as long as your rifle likes shooting those rounds um, and can shoot the length of that bullet in that action, um, you can buck some serious wind and deliver your your very impact point on that shot. So like a 300 wind, again, for almost all shooting, you cannot beat it. Um, if you want to go one step further, again, fairly new cartridge is the 300 PRC. So we just talked about the 6.5 PRC. You step up to the 300 PRC, and again, you're talking about 
technology, just the way that the casing is built and how it sits in the in the action, you're going to get even more of an accurate load. So in the 300 regards, you know, your 300 win, it's been around forever. It is still it, on top of its game as much as it ever has been. But if you want to go one step further, the 300 PRC, you're not going to have quite as many options of rifles right now. Um, I think another year or so, I think everybody will be on board with that. Um, but right now you're going to have a, a few less options of the actual rifle shooting that. Um, but you can't beat it. That 300 PRC and the 300 win, those are my, my larger calibers that, again, you cannot go wrong with. So 204 on the small side, 6.5 PRC on that middle game, 300 win or 300 PRC on the top end, um, and and literally the best you can get uh, in those worlds. You're not going to spend any more money than you would if you're buying you know the traditional 270s, 30 out sixes, um, and it's going to get you a lot more advantages in the field. Right, and you know, and we don't want to discourage people who are still hunting with an odd six or a, an 08 or a 270 because the ammunition has gotten better. That doesn't oh, absolutely, you know. Don't be afraid to go out and get the right ammunition and hunt with those. We're just saying if you're looking to change guns or calibers, here's some really great options that are out there. And that's good, just because so much has changed. I mean, you look at the nozzler, what they're doing, you know, the 26, 28, and 30 nozzlers, and um, I mean, you have so much stuff. I mean, Hornady's making custom ammo just for, you know, basically the Hornady family and ARCs, and there, there's so much out there that it's changing so fast. Um, again, I mean, and we've all seen it. I mean, we've seen incredible distance shooting and, and everything out of the calibers forever. I mean, you look at, you know, what's been happening over the last 50 years as far as marksmanship, it can all be done without any caliber. We're just saying exactly, if, if you are in the market for a new firearm, a new rifle, these are some of the new things out there that, that you would be very pleased to have uh, in your lineup of hunting tools this coming fall, but by far. Absolutely right. One last thing before I let you go, if you were going fishing this week, where would you go? Oh, man, Terry, it's so hard. I mean, the bites are just on fire everywhere. Um, the pike bite right now, I would say that this, uh, you know, from now until middle of October, it's going to be prime pike season. Um, I would say that we have about a week left um, of what we kind of consider our, our summer pattern. So, you know, the spinner baits, the topwater bites, after that, these fish are going to start retreating to slightly deeper in the weeds just because our temperatures are dropping. Um, so pike fishing over the next five to seven days, I think, is absolutely uh, something that I would I would put a very heavy influence on, uh, trying to get to do some pike fishing. Uh, those rainbows are chill chasing damselflies right now, so so fly fishing with damsels, stripping them as a streamer, um, that bite's going to go away here pretty quick. That That's absolutely incredible. Um, so I would really take advantage of the, the last little portion of what I consider our summer trout and pike, because uh, believe it or not, fall is in the air. The nights are getting cool. Um, so we're going to start seeing our fall pattern start here real shortly. And it's usually a, a short, you know, week to two week transition uh, for those pike and trout as they go from summer to fall patterns. Um, so why they're very consistent in their summer patterns, I'd hit those hard right now. Um, and then after that, we'll kind of keep you updated on, on how everything shifts into those fall patterns. All right. And if people want more information or book a trip, it's Tightline Outdoors. That's it, TylerOutdoors.com. We'll be redoing our website real soon, which we're excited about. We'll have more information on ice addiction real soon. Uh, and then if you're into the hunting stuff we just talked about, uh, try to make that switch over to Instagram. Just follow Nate Zielinski on Instagram. Uh, you could also follow uh, Instagram with the Ruger Firearms. We'll be posting a video almost daily on, on shooting calibers, hunting, scouting, and everything else uh, regarding to that. All right, my friend. We will talk to you next week. Talk to you soon, sir. All right, Nate Zielinski. We'll take a quick time out. we come back. 
We're going to talk muzzle loaders right here on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear. Speaking of that, let's go right to the Broomfield store where we are joined by Donnie Coxey. Good morning, Donnie. Yeah, good morning, Terry. You know, it's good transition. We were just talking about rifle calibers and how they apply to hunting. And in Colorado, we're fortunate enough to have a season that comes before the regular rifle season, and that's the muzzleloader uh, season. And a lot of people are getting into the more primitive types of hunting like archery and muzzleloader. You get to hunt at different times, and it also provides a different challenge. But I think the muzzleloader one baffles people sometimes. So I thought we'd talk a little bit about choosing gear if you don't have any, and if you do have any, how do you refine it a little bit? First of all, are there certain regulations you have to follow when you buy a muzzleloader type uh, firearm in Colorado? Yeah, Terry, I think uh, this is a, an important point. A lot of states offer different things with uh, the primitive seasons and the primitive weapons. For Colorado, um, they have chosen that uh, you cannot use any uh, uh, pellet substitutes for powder. You must use the, the powder that is um, loose. And then also you cannot use a, uh, a scope on your rifle and you cannot use sabotaged bullets. So uh, Colorado has chose to keep, keep it primitive, and I, I think that's a good choice. I do too, because you're not. If you're going to hunt muzzleloader, you don't want to turn that muzzleloader into a a high-powered ballistic rifle that just loads a little differently. You want it to truly be a muzzleloader experience. So if I come in, do I have to spend a lot of money to get a, a decent muzzleloader uh, firearm? No, and I mean, relatively speaking, to, uh, you know, to a centerfire uh, weapon, uh, shoot hunting in the rifle seasons, you can get a muzzleloader uh, for, for, and I mean the whole setup, for under $500. I mean, you're ready to go, and you've got all the equipment you need for the season, and you got some very good equipment um, at that. So, and is there a, is it difficult to choose? Now, somebody comes in, I come in, I've never shot a muzzleloader. I've hunted big game with rifles and bow. I've, I do a lot of target shooting, but I've never shot a muzzleloader. So what kind of questions do you need to ask me first? Okay, so when I'm dealing with a guy that's uh, just getting into muzzleloader shooting, one of the things that we mentioned was you can't use a scope with a muzzleloader. So you're using an open or an iron sight, and that would be like a peep-type sight or a, a buckhorn-type sight or an iron sight. So the, one of the first things I'm going to do, especially for a Colorado hunter, is I'm going to hand him several rifles, and I'm going to have him point it at a somewhere in the in the store, maybe uh, one of our animal targets or one of our round signs. And what I'm looking for is to see how well that guy mounts that gun and see how well it lines up with him with the sights because quick sight acquisition is huge when you're in the field. And so I want one that fits him well. That's where I'm going to start so that it points really well. So like if he threw it up, closed his eyes and threw it up and he opened his eyes, boy, he's looking right down them sights because uh, once again, it's a primitive uh, weapon, and you have to use these open sights. So that's the first place I'm going to start. Now, if I've got a muzzleloader rifle already or I've, I've just bought one, how difficult is it for me to pick out ammunition and load? Because, you know, if I go buy a big game cartridge, it's going to have the load, it's going to have the lead, it's going to have everything, and I know I'm buying one piece. Now, I have to mix and match. How difficult is that and take me through the process a little bit? 
Sure, and this would probably be the next step. So, uh, one of the uh, some of these things are narrowed down for us by regulations with the state. For instance, you cannot use anything under a 40 caliber for deer or antelope or bear, and for elk you cannot use anything under a 50 cal. So that limits my choice right there. I, I if I'm hunting deer or antelope or bear, I know I have to have a 40 cal or better. If I'm hunting elk, I have to have a 50 cal or better. And then from there also, there's regulations on bullet size. Um, with a 50 cal shooting for elk, you can't have a bullet under 170 grains, so I know I need to move up from there. From there, uh, what I'm going to point out is some of the bullets we have here in the store, which are very good bullets. Some are by Thompson Center, and uh, they're called a maxi ball. And then I also have a, a more conventional-type conical bullet in there by Power Belt. And there's two different styles of Power Belts. There's uh, just the regular copper, copper arrow tip, and then there's also their Platinum Premium, which is a more hard bullet for some of the faster new rifles. So right away I'm going to say, what are you hunting? And then we're going to go over and we're going to look at the bullets that match for the game that they're going to be hunting. Now, do I have to learn how to load for that bullet, too? What about the powder and how much to put in and those things? Yeah, and so this is also important, too. So just quickly, there's going to be two powder choices generically. There's really three, but there's two that are most popular. And uh, obviously, it's a black powder weapon, and uh, they were designed for black powder, uh, you know, um, projectile um, ignition. So what we have at the store, though, is we have what's called a triple seven, which is a black powder substitute. It's a very clean burning powder, and it doesn't. Uh, it's non-corrosive, so you don't have to clean your weapon right away. We also offer Pyrodex stuff, which is a sulfur base and closer to original black powder. Now this stuff is more corrosive, and it does need cleaning. But it is a very good uh, powder. Now, in mentioning that, and and I hope everyone's listening that's a muzzleloader uh, that shoots them, uh, on your rifle, you're going to see it's going to designate whether it's a magnum rifle or not a magnum rifle. And if it's a magnum rifle, it'll say up to 150 grains. Now, when it says 150 grains, that's speaking of uh, black powder or a black powder substitute like RS, sulfur base. But for triple seven. 120 grains is equivalent to 150. You do not want to put more than 120 or you've overloaded your gun. So there's a lot to learn, but it sounds like you can get into it pretty well. Does the bullet you choose and the load you choose make, do you have to kind of decide how far I'm going to shoot, what kind of terrain I'm going to hunt in? Does that affect it quite a bit? You know, it does, but with the open sites, your effective range is really out to about 100 yards, and that's one of the reasons why I like some of the regulations in Colorado. I'm always in my effective range if I'm shooting 100 yards or less. My bullets will perform at those ranges, almost all the bullets that we offer. But what I do suggest is you're working up your load, you're just getting started out, um, is to pick the bullet that you think is going to be best for the game that you're, you're going to hunt. And we can help you here at the store. And then pick the propellant that you would like, whether it's RS or 777. And then what you're going to do is get, get you a, you know, uh, like I like to start out with like three or four targets at like 30 to 50 yards, pretty really close. 
And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to start out, let's say, at 110 grains of powder. And I'm going to do three shots, clean it every single time, three shots, see what my group is. Then I'm going to go to 120 grains, and depending on the powder that I'm using. And I'm going to move up the scale. And when I find that group come together for my rifle, it likes this much powder with this bullet, then that's my load. Now I'm going to sight it in at you know up to 100 yards to make sure I'm dead center. But that's my load because my gun really likes that bullet and that charge. It really is important to shoot different bullets and different charges when you're starting out with a muzzle loader to find out what performs in your rifle and the way you shoot. Good place to know. I know Colorado Clays here has a muzzle loader availability on their rifle range, and I'm sure there's others. But it really is important to shoot that and shoot the load you're going to hunt with, isn't it? Yeah, and I I encourage everyone to uh, plan on spending a day or whatever it takes and do some experimentation and um, by picking good quality components and spending some time doing the steps that we just talked about, you're going to come up with a load that shoots really good out of your gun. And you can't say enough about, you know, your confidence level in the field. My gun is really shooting well, and that's really helpful for the hunter. Plus, you get time over your weapon to get used to it, to get comfortable with it, to get used to loading it and how what what that feels like. And to shoot that weapon so you get accustomed to it and, you, you know, you really become comfortable with your weapon. Donnie, we got to go, but if you're at the Broomfield store, if people wanted to come and talk to you, I know you work in different departments. Tell them where the Broomfield store is located. Okay, so we're at 5005 West 120th Avenue. And basically we're on the corner of Sheridan 120th and we're on the northeast corner. And uh, folks can come on in to our hunting department. They can ask for me or they can ask for any of our hunting guys. We've got a giant selection of uh, loading equipment, and we have weapons by CVA and by Thompson. And um, we can walk them through this and help them get started so that they're, uh, you know, they have all the equipment they need to get out at the range. And I really like Colorado Clays. That's a great place to shoot. And uh, they can, and we can help them with targets so they can get set up and so that they know that their gun is shooting very well with, with a bullet and a load that will be good for the game they're hunting. All right, my friend, thank you. We'll get you back on again soon. Thanks for all that great insight. All right, thank you, Terry. Uh, thank you, Donnie Coxie from Jack's Outdoor Gear. We'll take a quick time out, and we're going to have a mystery author guest join us on 104.3 The Fan. Jump over here when you do the ooby-dooby. I just gotta be near now you're reaching back, Kyle. Terry <laughs> Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear. Five locations in the front range to serve you. Fort Collins, Loveland, Lafayette, Broomfield, now Cheyenne. Let's go right to the phones. And joining us is our mystery author. Good morning, mystery author. Good morning, Terry. Now, I understand you've written a couple fly fishing guidebooks. Would you give us just the title of those books? Sure. A fly fishing guide to Rocky Mountain National Park and a fly fishing guide to Colorado's Indian Peaks Wilderness Area. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to give a caller who's paying attention a chance to win one of those books. The first person to text 303-713-1043, 303-713-1043 with the name of our author will get your choice of one of those two. And these are 
phenomenal books. In fact, that's what we're going to talk about right now. Uh, Mr. Mystery Author, I almost called you by your name. Uh, tell us a little bit about the books. Describe them to us. Yeah, well, the books are really geared towards the fly fisherman who likes to hike. Um, there's short hikes, medium hikes, long hikes. There's some off-trail hikes, uh, all in the pursuit of fly fishing for trout up in those two areas I just mentioned. And they're full of photographs. Folks, these are books you can put on your uh Put them on your coffee table, even though they're soft-cover books, and people will pick them up, and they will look through at the pictures, and they will look at uh, – you'll find yourself picking it up. And it's probably not a book you read from cover to cover, is it? You probably want to go through it, and you'll do parts and bits and pieces as you plan a trip. Is that how you would use them? Yeah, yeah. It's just geared towards each of the drainages and the trails that follow them, and They'll tell you all the waters, if you take a certain trail, all the waters you might encounter, both lakes and streams. And uh, it's really meant to be a a trip planner and a hiking guide for the fly fisher. By the way, we do have a winner. You've been identified as the famous, renowned angler and author, Steve Schweitzer. Oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) And if people had followed us on Facebook at Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, they would have known Steve is a frequent contributor, and he was going to join us today to give away one of his books. They really are great books, though, Steve. Um, and the high country right now, you know, with some of the warm weather we've had and the water's getting warm, now we're going to have to be careful of fire areas, but uh, the high country right now is probably the place to be, wouldn't you think? Absolutely. The trails are all open. There's no snow on the trails that I've been on, and I've been up to just about 11,000 this year already a couple times. Uh, and dry fly... Action is at its peak, and uh, I heard some tips earlier in the program. All those tips apply in terms of the flies you want to select, um, but I, I'll tell you my favorite right now is a, kind of a, a yellow humpy or a lime trude because there's uh, a lot of bugs with light, uh, pale light and yellow uh, bodies uh, hatching right now. So, And if you were going to go within the next few days, would there be one place that you think that you'd want to go or that you would recommend people above others? Well, uh, it's it's hard to say because it's all fishing really well. Uh, You know, if you can follow the Glacier uh, Gorge Trailhead, uh, follow Glacier Creek up to many lakes, that will spread people out, and it's just fishing lights out right now. All right. And – where can people who didn't win get the books, Steve? Well, sure. They go on Amazon. That's the easiest way to go. and Just uh, search for my name or the books. All right, my friend. Thank you for joining us, and thank you for giving away one of your books. What a great trivia prize. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Terry. Bye-bye. You bet. Steve Schweitzer and uh, the Fly Fisherman's Guide to Rocky Mountain National Park and to Indian a Peaks Wilderness Area. Folks, if you're into fly fishing, getting up in the high country, get those books. We're going to switch gears as we come back, and Dan Swanson is going to join us, and we're going to talk about trolling on flatwater right here on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. We are waiting for Dan Swanson to join us. But while we're waiting, let's talk a little bit about what we're going to talk to Dan about, and that's 
trolling for walleyes and trout. Uh, this time of the year, a lot of people think that the bite changes and that the fishing is different. Uh, you know, that the fish, oh, and Dan's there, so let's just go to Dan. Good morning, Dan. Morning, how are you? Doing great. I didn't know you were on yet. We had a little communication gap there. So <laughs> yeah, I've been, I've been listening to you for like five minutes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so anyway, we are going to, we had a trivia question. I'd always screw things up. We'll blame Schweitzer for that. Okay, so, okay. But um, this time of the year, a lot of times, well, starting probably in about July, a lot of people think in a lot of situations the fish don't bite. Because you and I both know that their habits change, the way they feed, the bait fish move, the water levels change, and it moves those fish. And it isn't that you can't catch fish anymore. It's just you're probably not going to catch them throwing a jig on a point or working a, 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 like a, a drop shot or something because the fish may be in different locations. Is that what you think is happening out there now quite a bit? Yeah, especially right now. You know, as as the water starts to drop, those fish that are that were either hanging out in weeds or or maybe hanging on a on a hump or a point, they start to move, especially when the water drops, because all of a sudden their cover is not in water anymore, right? And and our lakes, most of our lakes here in Colorado and in Wyoming are shad based impoundments, and those it, those are roaming bait fish, and those walleyes and trout and bass and everything else is going to be out there chasing those roaming fish that some of them you know if there's enough of them they just the fish just suspend and inhale and they can feed so in order to find those fish we need i think the easiest way to cover to find them is to cover as much water as you can with baits that are similar to what they're feeding on now all i have to do is throw something out behind the boat and drive around right there's no science to it or any techniques right and some sometimes you get lucky like that, yeah. So I mean, what, <laughs> I try to match, you know. I try to I try to pick something a, a bait of some kind that's got a similar profile and vibration to the to the, what the fish are feeding on. I also need to need to get into the right depth zone, as you know. That probably the most important thing above anything else is getting your bait in the, at the same level as those as the fish that are feeding. Now, I was obviously kidding. We can uh, troll, troll around at different depths, uh, but a lot of times you can drive around with your electronics, and sometimes you can see the fish, but sometimes they're so shallow it's difficult. And depth control is really critical and probably speed after that. But suppose I've got the lure that I think is the right bait, but it doesn't necessarily run as deep or where I need it to run. There's techniques I can use to adjust the depth of that lure, isn't there? There are um, a person could fish with. You could use lead core line to get your line down to the to where you think you need to have it. You can, one of my favorite ways when it comes to suspended fish, I would rather use a snap weight, which is a just a one to three ounce weight that snaps onto your line above your bait. I would rather be using that than a than lead core because I can get it out a lot quicker. Um, lead core is great if you're following contours or if you're fishing close to the bottom or maybe over the tops of of brush and you don't want to get snagged. But if I, if I'm out over suspended fish, I'd rather use a snap weight cause I can, I can get that line out of my reel and get it to the depth I want much, much, much quicker. Now explain to people how a snap weight works. A snap weight has a, a clip on the end of it that has ru- either rubber pads or some sort of a material on it 
that you can snap it on. It's kind of like almost like a clothespin, and then it'll have a heavy weight hanging off the bottom of that. So what I generally will do is I'll run out, I'll, I'll put out a crankbait of, of some kind, say 50 feet out, then I put on my snap weight, and then I can run either another 50 feet or 100 feet or whatever I need in order to get it to the right depth. And then if I'm running planer boards, I can snap on a planer board. I can also just stick it in a rod holder and have it hang off the back of the boat. Now, you need to you need to adjust either the amount of the weight or the amount of line you've got out to figure out your depth. There are, there are charts available for that. There's applications available for that that you can find on the Internet that will tell you at what speed that snap weight will run at what depth. Now, a lot of the trolling right now for walleyes and trout are shallow because the shad are coming up close to the surface. What about if I want to keep that bait from going too deep or get it away from the boat? You mentioned planer boards. That's a great way to do it. How do you approach that? Do you, is it the length of line, the diameter of line? How do you approach keeping it shallow? So all of those things matter. Um, generally, when you get a bait, let's say from Berkeley, like a flicker shad, in the package it actually has a dive curve in it that will tell you that for 50 feet of line, I will, that particular bait might be running seven feet deep. So if I have a line counter reel, I can I can go out 50 feet, attach my planer board to it, and I know that that's going to be running at that depth. If I if I don't have a line counter reel, I can count. If I know my rod is six feet long, let's say, and I point it back at my bait, straight at back at my bait, and I and I sweep the rod forward as I let line out at the same time and then drop it back while I hold the line, I've just now dropped 12 feet of line, and I can count the number of passes, and that'll get me fairly close. Other things you can do is if you have, if you want to run at, say, 10 feet, your depth finder says that you can find an area where it's 10 feet. You just drive along, letting out line until it starts ticking bottom, and you know, and then mark the line with a, with a sharpie, and you know that that's going to be at 10 feet. So there's a lot of different ways you can do that. Uh, line counters and planer boards and that equipment is obviously the easiest way. For if I want to fish for those high fish that you talked about earlier, let's you know the small shad, the young of the year shad are generally up in the top of the, of the water column, and as you mentioned, the you're not going to see them on your depth finder. So I always run a small bait like a number four flicker shad or a number five, say 20 to 30 feet behind my planer boards, and I know I'm going to be up in that upper range. I also want to run those bars far away from my boat as I can so that any any the boat doesn't spook those fish. Now, it's really important when you're pulling crankbaits to be above the fish rather than below them, isn't it? Yeah, the fish typically won't feed down. You need to be at or at the same level or slightly above those fish to get them to move. In really, really clear water, they will come up more than that, but in general, you want to be right around where the, you see the fish on your sonar. Really important to learn how to use your electronics. Play with the sensitivity, turn it up so you can actually mark the fish around the bait. Now, what about speed? How important is boat speed to this? It it can be. Boat speed can be what triggers the fish. So I generally will start trolling around two miles an hour, and then I'll adjust my speed up and down depending on what the fish tell me. If I'm running planer boards out to one side or the other, one of the things I can do if I'm running, say, at two miles an hour, is I can do slow S-turns. And what happens is the boards that are on the outside of the turn are going to go a lot faster, kind of like you know, you're pulling a water skier or a tube and you whip them, whip them around. 
it, it'll go a lot faster on the outside and slower on the inside. If I'm getting bites on the outside of my turn, I know that I need to be going a little faster. If I'm getting them on the inside of my turn, I, I know I need to go a little slower. So as I learn what the fish want, I can I can crank up my speed. Typically, I go I go faster when the water's warm, and I drive fairly slow when the water's cold. So if I'm headed out in the next week or so, where are a couple places you might recommend I try using some of these tactics? Well, I think it's going to work great at Cher- at Cherry Creek and Chatfield and Boyd Lake, Pueblo. Uh, Horsetooth is a little bit of a strange animal because it's got a combination of shad and smelt. And with the smelt, you'll you'll want to be a lot deeper during the day. But at night, they do come up, so you you got that ability as well. Now, you do book guide trips. If I wanted to learn these techniques, because it it does, there are nuances that we can't take the time to cover on the radio here. Whereas, do you have openings if somebody wants to learn to do this? I do have openings, and you can reach me at dan at fishfulthinker.com. You know, another thing I will recommend, too, a good friend of ours, Gary Darling, and I did a couple uh, television shows that are on my YouTube channel. <clears throat> we did one at Glendo early in the year. We did one at Seminole later in the year, and we use these very tactics. So go to uh, The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom, and you can see some of those tactics. But book a trip with somebody like Dan because – it just makes it makes it so much easier when you go out with somebody, Dan, the first time and see how these techniques are put into play. It absolutely does, and and trolling is a lot more work than people think it is. Yeah, it's usually not as relaxing as people think it is, or as easy. Uh, you can spend a lot of time pulling baits and not catching fish. Dan, we're out of time. Thanks for joining us, and of course, Fishful Thinker, fishfulthinker.com. They can get a hold of you guys. Always great to have you on. You're welcome, Terry. Good to talk to you. All right, Dan Swanson. You know, before we close out this show, there's somebody on that probably spent half his life trolling around never getting anything, and that's uh, Dan Jacobs. Are you there, Mr. Jacobs? Oh, that's so so nice of you. You know, I, I had a good laugh <laughs> at your expense last week in um, in church, Terry, because they were talking about, you know how you guys have all these fancy names for everything? Like, instead of just, you know, throwing your bait out there, it's you got to work on your presentation, the fish the fish like a presentation and the pastor shows a picture of a bobber do you know what a bobber is terry yep i certainly do but what do you call them you call them what an indicator what was there some sort of fancy term well we call them floats but i call it a bobber okay well he was saying like fishermen say no this is an indicator you don't call it a bobber it's an indicator it's very fancy well that's fly fly fishermen do that yeah Uh, okay i had got a good chuckle out of that well, I do some fly fishing. I was up fly fishing this week, in fact, and I had a visit from an elk and a bear and a bunch of other animals. So it was an interesting week. Before we let, before I let you go, though, and close out the show, uh, any hot topic that you really want to get into this week that you're gonna we want to listen to? Uh, apparently, we have a Hall of Famer, a guaranteed Hall of Famer, maybe the best of all time at his position on the Broncos, and he's never played it down. So we'll discuss that. All right. Well, I think we're going to be finding out a lot of secrets about the Broncos in these next two weeks, don't you? Absolutely. It's going to be fun. All right, my. Fr- All right, we'll close out. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. We're here every every Saturday from nine to eleven, and sometimes a little later because I steal time from Dan Jacobs. Follow us on Facebook, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Follow us on our YouTube channel, The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom. We'll let the Eagles finish up the show and take us to Dan Jacobs and Sports. 
on 104.3 The Fan.